Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, January 10th of 2023, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday, and this Sunday is January 15th. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 Eastern Time, and today for our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota, 5.30 Central Time. Our team is working to be faithful to year A, and that puts us in the Gospel of John, and during the coming weeks of Epiphany, we're using the letters identified in the lectionary to create understanding in the Gospel text. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection, and here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions, and then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. Charles Willard, Minnesota. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm Don Upton, and I'm in Columbus, Ohio today. Thankful that we have uh, all kinds of ways to connect virtually. And uh, today our leadoff is Bill Hall. He's been thinking about this week. He's going to share the scripture and the questions for the day. How are you doing, my friend? I'm well, thank you, and welcome to my colleagues and to those who view and listen later. We welcome you to this conversation. Just a brief reminder of what Don suggested. We're on a special six-week journey that began last week where we are not just looking at the gospel passage, but more so for these few weeks at the epistle And for any who may be somewhat new to the lectionary, there are always at least uh, four scriptures listed, uh, Old Testament, uh, a prophet, a psalm, uh, an epistle, and then the gospel letter lesson. And this week, we are reading from 1 Corinthians and the gospel of uh, John. Um, The 1 Corinthians passage is chapter 1, 1 through 9, and the John Gospel passage is chapter 1, 29 to 42. Uh, I am reading from the updated version of the New Revised Standard Version, but I could not find any differences between the NRSV and the updated version in our passages for today. But I note that because, for example, in adult education at Palmasia, they are now using the updated version of the Revised Standard Version. First, from 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, Call to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus or in every way you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, 
so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the partnership of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now the gospel passes, John 1, 29 to 42. The next day, John the baptizer saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not owe him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I have three questions. And I think this morning I'm just I'm going to start with one and Don heads up I'm coming to you first. Um, I will signal ahead of time that the last question asked us to look at both of these passages and and look for similarities and differences, etc. We'll get to that. But the first two focus on the epistle. Uh, Paul begins First Corinthians. We read the very first verse going forward. Paul begins 1 Corinthians giving thanks for the Corinth believers always, declaring that they are saints, sanctified in Christ, saying they are enriched in Christ in speech and knowledge of every kind. They are not lacking in any spiritual gift, and they will be strengthened and blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Powerful words, very affirming, celebrating. Yet, as we will discover in the coming weeks, as we look at other passages from 1 Corinthians, the church in Corinth 
was embroiled in extreme internal conflict, wild sexual immorality, drunkenness at the Lord's table, arguments over doctrine, church members suing other church members, debating which person was most significant in their spiritual lives, and dividing themselves over spiritual gifts, particularly the issue of speaking in tongues. Given that, Don, what do you believe might have been Paul's reason or reasons for beginning as he does this, which is eventually going to be a very tough conversation? And either that or how does this kind of beginning impact you knowing what's forthcoming, Don? Thank you. Excuse me, Don. Don. I'm going to reference your second question. (laughs) So, because I think half the answer is there. They sure interplay with each other really well. First, and and this I'm speculating. I I can't get in the mind of the author or the church, but it sure seems familiar to me. So the first thing is I don't like to be scolded. Uh, And I think if you look forward you set the stage, what, what is going to happen, what's in the middle of this letter. And I, I, I'm saying this to be humorous, but also I think there's a lot in there. If not for the front end that you're raising up, this introduction, then it would be, Mom, Paul's yelling at me again. And nobody likes that. And nobody responds to that. He's patronizing me, he's yelling at me. He's telling, I mean, that is the setting for this without the front end. And I want to put out that the front end is Christ that you go, he's setting it up. So otherwise, this would be for the reader or the listener something that is legalistic, regulatory, compliant, code-related, and a list of offenses. And I don't know about you, as a reader, I don't want to read that. It's boring and mundane. I don't like it. Got a lot of people not getting along, and you've got somebody scolding them. No thank you. I don't even want to read it. And then if I'm the church or the individual, it really is, Mom, Paul's yelling at me again. La, 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 la. For those watching in Zoom, I put my fingers in my ears. Uh, I, I think that's what he's confronting here. And so he has to begin with a statement of the facts without any speculation. Elegantly put, here's where we are. You must read this first. Uh, if this is being read out loud to people, then this is the first thing you hear, setting the stage. Uh, and I think there's a certainty in it. It's not... I think you have to read it with beyond hopefulness. I hope people understand. So he's not going, I hope you understand what I'm doing. You know, I know it's going to be tough. You know, I hope this works out. This is going to be a little nasty. It's got a certainty to it. Don't forget, this is the fact. These are the facts we're dealing with. This is what the Christ is about. This is what sanctification means in the conversation we're about to have. So it's a reminder for the reader, too, and for the listener of the time and for today. So, you know, well done, Paul. And I'm sure it still was read with a great deal of bristling as well. So he's setting the stage. And then I think it is richer if it's not about just setting the stage and the facts of the Christ and what he wants to do for the church. I think he has to do it himself. Again, Charles Willard, you know, I'm really taking liberty here. But wouldn't it be proper given this roster of problems that they're having, that Paul would need to remind himself of these facts, that that opening 
is actually to get his frame of mind correct. Otherwise, he's going to be screaming and wailing as well, and it will be Paul yelling at me. So I think he has to remind himself of these facts and what his role is, which he does obsessively in the first passage and a little bit further in our other reading. Uh, otherwise, he is going to be scolding and he's going to be legal, legalistic and he's going to be patronizing. So he is trying to think in terms of peace with you and peace, peace with himself as well. So the, the writer, Bill, and the audience have to get right with this. This is about Paul, too getting right with this. Otherwise, he's going to be screaming with the writing that he's going through. It's such a mess. It's hard not to write with bitterness. And all of us write and communicate. So I would, this for me today, I've got a long day ahead of me, you know, a meditation on what the Christ is and what peace is and what sanctification is before you get started uh, with what's happening going forward. To what end are we actually doing this? So that's that, that's my take on this bill. Thank you, Ron. Charles. I had just a small, a small, a small question coming up. Going back to your reading of the text, and in, when you're reading First Corinthians one, one to nine, in verse seven, you omitted the word spiritual as an adjective before gifts. So that when you read that, it was so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that, is that what your text shows? Because what I have no, here if, is. No, if, if I left it out, that was an oversight. Uh, no, I have spiritual in here. Okay. Uh, do you want to say more about this question? No, Charles? I just, I just, okay. I just, try, I just try to get figure out what what it was. Yeah, I, an oversight on my part. Thank you, Sarah. I, I'm going to quote a, a modern philosopher, Mary Poppins, who says, "A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down." Um, I'm with you, Don. I think Paul's framing this letter to write himself, as in to orient himself in the best possible way to start a hard conversation. I think that he is is doing it exactly as you, you suggested, to remind himself and the, the family at Corinth of how they started, why they started, reminding them that they are a forgiven people, full of grace and peace, and that the work they've been equipped to do is important. Um, I think he's retouching as to why they are believers and through whom they are becoming faithful. Um, sometimes you have to go back to the beginning to say exactly why did we start this? What was our endeavor? Remind me again of our goal. Remind me again of um, the the coordination of effort. Um, I think that's important to revisit. Um, oftentimes as a parent, when I'm uh, put in a position where I need to correct the dog, when I'm put in a position where I need to um, have a hard conversation with one of my 
soon-to-be adult children, I have to frame it up with, you know I love you, right? You know what I'm about to say is going to be hard. But I think the choices you're making are dangerous. I think the choices you're making are going to be harmful to you and to the people that you love. And it's really difficult to open that conversation if you don't frame it with the thought that I'm saying these things because I love you and I care for you and I want I want you to thrive. I don't want you to be self-destructive. I don't want you to be distractible with things that have no value or meaning. I want you to stand in relationship with others. And those are all very important pieces of the puzzle when you're asking somebody to modify um, behaviors that are um, destructive or behaviors that are well, who's getting hurt? Nobody's getting hurt but me. Hmm, let me think about that. So I, I think that those are important from a, a collaborative development perspective. They need to thrive. The church in Corinth needs to thrive. And I think it's going to be valuable how Paul approaches the the adjustments here because they're going to use these models to adjust themselves again and each other. Thank you, Sarah. I I think what I will share builds on what has been said. Every human analogy is imperfect. But as I read this, uh, trying to read it afresh um, this week, um, one take could be he's just buttering them up. He's setting them up. He's saying all these nice things, and then he's going to sock it to them. I don't believe that's true at all. I think Paul is, if I may use the term, dead serious in what he is saying. He really believes it. The analogy is going to seminary in the 1960s where there was a shift in the emphasis on pastoral counseling from the pastor giving biblical answers and direction to people to And what we were encouraged to believe and act on as counselors was that within the person already were the resources for their healing or for their resolving their problem. And a part of what we were offered to do, not that it's easy to do, was to encourage people to discover what was already within them that might equip them to move forward. For example, a couple comes in, they're contemplating divorce, and one approach would be at some point to say, what brought you together to start with? What, what, what did you see in the other? Now, there was no magic in that, but often there would be a transformation in the tone of the conversation. Now, again, there was no magic, and not every couple found healing. But um, often what would come out of that would be the strengths that they had, and interestingly, what later became a challenge. For example, one partner might say, well, I'm this sort of wallflower and he or she was this very gregarious person, and I liked being around them because they were comfortable 
uh, among strangers. And but now it's annoying me because he or she is constantly talking to other people. So you 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 get the gist again, an inadequate analogy. But interestingly, Charles, the verse I planned in this response to pick up on is what you pointed out in verse 7. I think the summary is Paul is saying you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. That's an amazing statement. In other words, the resources are there to deal with the immoral behavior, with the conflict over power and position and drunkenness and so forth. That's a powerful statement. We are not lacking in any spiritual gift. And I believe in our nation today, we are not lacking in the resources to get through the ugliness and the um, divisive, demeaning conversation that often goes on, especially in the political world. All right, let's move to the second one, which I think is related to the first and I, before I read it, I will acknowledge that part of the reason I ask this question is we Presbyterians almost never use the second term that I'm aware of. <laughs> I think because we have some discomfort with it. In the passage I read, Paul refers to these believers who are in such conflict as saints and he says they are sanctified. <laughs> what do you understand it to mean that believers are saints and that they are sanctified? Sarah? Well, I, I, because we're dealing with just this passage, I I don't know that believers are saints yet. <laughs> I believe we're called to be saints. And that means something different to me. Um, so I see baptism as sanctification to set yourself or or your your church apart from the world so that you can act independently from the populace or the social norms of the day um and you can make decisions based on on what your foundational belief is. I think grace is what continually redeems us, moving us toward God's purposes and becoming living saints. And we can only do that with God's purpose and help. Um, so that being said, I think that uh, sanctification is a state of being that in which you have the freedom and the flexibility of stepping away from what's happening in the world and look at it for what it is, and see yourself as free to move independent of it. Um, I think that that's kind of where we are as the modern church, as modern believers. We have to be um, thoughtful and discerning about our posture, our tone, our um, hospitality, <laughs> and, and perhaps even our our alacrity to judgment, um, and that the grace is what moves us toward each other with the fullness of God. 
Thank you, Sarah. Charles? I just marvel at how the four of us, the three of you, are able to engage in the way that you do. Um, it's just a, a more a, a extremely moving experience. So thank you. Okay, Don. Would you do me a favor? Read the question again. Sure. What do you understand it to mean that believers are saints? That, let me read I, the literal Greek if I'm translating it right. Having been sanctified in Jesus Christ, you are called holy or sanctified. You have been sanctified and you are called holy. And what does it mean that we are saints and that we are sanctified? Yes, and having been, I think it's important here for that front end, the frame. This is done. This is finished. This is you're you're in the certain. I'm making it too simple. You're in. You're you live here, not here. I need to remind you of that so that we can move forward with this conversation. So, uh, as a part of that, I I think you issued a it's almost like a little challenge. Like the translation seems to be generally the same. But I did see one in the ESV when it comes to verse 8 where it talks about strengthen you till the end uh, in yours, uh, I guess the uh, Revised Standard Version. Uh, and in the ESV it says sustain. And I think there's a nice interplay there. That that's sustaining, that front end, having been. You're in the sustaining posture already. And in the spirit of sustaining and that power, we need to have this conversation. So for, I'm struggling with sanctification, too. It's, uh, it's high and lofty, and that's not what Paul's saying. Matter of fact, in, in Chapter 2, he says, uh, you know, uh, that he, the one thing he doesn't want to be is high and lofty with the words that are here. So how do we get this thing to the ground? And I'm going to use very bad language here in terms of defining it for myself, but sanctification Got to, for me to, to understand, it's got the word purpose in it twice. It is purposeful, set apartness for a purpose. So it's not just that there's a purpose afterward. There's a we, sanctification is for a purpose, and it's also been done because it's the purpose of the Creator in doing that. And I think part of what this book helps me with is to make it all ordinary. And, and I think all through this, Paul's like. I don't want to be lofty, and I'm not going to be, and we're not talking about setting ourselves apart from everybody else. We're talking about being in it, and that the value of this isn't being special. There's a value in this, in the ordinariness of this, and and that Christ is in the ordinary, which takes us back to John as well. So, you know, kind of bringing out gospel and the sacraments and say common elements Paul's dealing with here fact is, everything that he writes about it are pretty darn common. I mean, we could be shocked and we could be frustrated, but uh, they're common. The disputes are common. Everything's ordinary. It's home and heart. It's mundane. It's everyday. And I think he's trying to bring everything to that situation. What's going wrong, too? And even the offenses and behaviors are mundane and common. 
And he says, I didn't come preaching with lofty intents or lofty wisdom at all. That's not the point. But in the middle of that, sanctified means you've been made holy or something's been made sacred. And that's the transformation and the change. And I think there's an act of transformation in this letter if you read the first chapter. If you read the front end, it's about change that has taken place and then continuing change, which I think has to do with standing back and going, what are we doing here? Who are we? I mean, that's maybe the theme of this. Like, who are we? What are we doing here? What is the fact of our existence? And it's all ordinary. And, you know, and I'm not referring, you know, Sarah, just to Duran Duran's ordinary world. Ordinariness is through poetry and lyrics all across the ages. The shock and the pain of walking down the street and that life is right there and it's ordinary and it's difficult. And I think Paul's trying to say being set apart is not some fantastic thing that you own. It allows you to walk down that street. If you stand aside and go, what are we doing here? What are we doing as a family? And in that way, I don't know that this church is any different than any other and this community is any different in Christ at work there. That, that's my thought, Bill. <clears throat> Thank you, Don. Um, Sarah, to highlight your interpretation, uh, I, I mentioned that I had the original Greek in front of me. Um, in the original Greek, the word that we translate sanctified and the word we translate saint are from the same root word in Greek, okay? And is based on my study of the original Greek, it means to be set apart for service to God. Now, maybe that's implied when we say holy. Now, this may be a, a bit of a rough joke, but when I was in college going to a church-related college and there were other ministerial students, we encountered various understandings of sanctified. And one of our jokes was to be sanctified meant I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do, that it had to do with being uh, very good. And uh, interestingly, this week I read the interpretation of sanctified in a variety of theological traditions. In some, its emphasis is on my being the right kind of person. I don't drink. I don't do this. I, I, but I think this is clearly, and I think you said this, Sarah, is based in the grace of God. Having been sanctified, you are called holy. That, that wasn't my decision. Um, God took the initiative to provide the human capacity, as you so well said, Sarah, to be independent, to stand apart. And I think in today's world, especially in this country, that is so critical for people of faith to be able to see what is actually going on and to discern what is reflective for us as Christians what behaviors, what style of communication reflects the spirit of Christ and what behaviors do not reflect that. And I like this emphasis on 
service to God. We, we are to be sanctified means I care about those who are homeless or hungry. Uh, the Matthew 25 interested. So to me, it's yet another example of God's initiative and grace. God called each of us and set us apart, not to be better than other people, but to be a light uh, and to reflect the light of Christ. Okay, third connect, third question, as I mentioned earlier, now I want us to look at the two passages. Uh, what connections, similarities, complements, differences do you perceive between this week's 1 Corinthians and Gospel of John passages? Now, we've talked only so far about the Corinthian passage, but I read John's account of the baptism of Jesus. And for me, again, I'm repeating myself. Both stories are about God's initiative, God being at work in God's own way in the world through individuals such as John the baptizer and Jesus Christ, the John passage, and through a corporate, though flawed, community of followers. God works in God's own way. Sometimes it's through a courageous individual like John the Baptist or Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi. But at other times, it's corporate. And we've often referred to the fact that Palmasia Praising Church is a member of uh, Hope in uh, Hillsborough County. I'm in Pinellas County, Bath. These are, um, it's an interfaith, grassroots, nonpartisan group who work for social justice. We're working on criminal justice reform, uh, affordable housing, water quality, uh, and other issues. Um, and we do it uh, together. Uh, FAST stands for Faith in Action or Strength Together. <laughs> strength Together. Um, I think Paul is seeking to have the followers of Jesus Christ in Corinth to understand to see that they are by God's grace and call empowered to reflect the light of Christ in a broken and fallen world. The gospel writer John in this week's passage uses a form of seeing repeatedly. Let me just cite a couple of examples. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him. John testified, I saw the Spirit. I myself have seen and testified. He watched as Jesus walked by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. Jesus asked the two disciples, what are you looking for? Come and see. They came and saw. <laughs> he found his brother Simon and who, who looked at him. John puts a great deal of emphasis on seeing. I think Paul, in this passage in 1 Corinthians, is see, perceive, understand, act on what is already uh, true. And Mark Davis, interestingly, titles his commentary on this passage from John. Mark Davis's title is Watch, Seek, Behold, See, Witness. And uh, good old hymn of the church that I grew up singing, Open My Eyes That I May See. Open My Eyes That I May See. And when you think of the conflict in our state and country, 
over the issue of being awake and aware of continuing social injustices or advocating the very opposite of that, I think seeing and understanding are powerfully important. Sarah? I'm going to say yes and, to quote my friend Bill, both passages address the revealing and recognition of Christ in the world. In John, it's the recognition of the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Here is the Lamb of God, the Messiah. And in, in the letter to Corinthians, Paul's engaging or engages the call to be saints whose, li- whose very lives and how they are lived reveal Christ to the world. So I think that these two pieces are talking about how are you seen, how is Christ seen, and how do we recognize each other as Christ-like in our pursuit of the purposes of God? I think that's a, a real effort, a real work um, right now for modern Americans who are struggling with uh, strong political divisions. But I think it's also authentic to say we are allowed to have a difference of opinion. However, there should be enough in common that we see in each other Christ. A very well said Sunday in the adult faith formation that emphasis was made. Uh, They were quoting John Daniel a devil voice who got married this weekend. Uh, I guess he was an intern at the church or something. And anyway, several people quoted something he said at some point, I don't know, in a sermon or whatever, about that what his life was to be about was seeing Jesus Christ in other people. The You know, when you've done it to the least of these, you did it to me. Thank you. Uh, Charles? You're muted. Did you say pass? <laughs> Charles, you're muted. Okay. Uh, Don? I want to reinforce the yes and that Sarah did, that so much depends on this family, that church, as a community. It, uh, it, uh, it has some access to the world. Obviously, they're getting letters from other places. They're They're part of a system and economic system that's uh, around Mediterranean, but it's very local and local matters. And so I, I acknowledge, Bill, what you're talking about in terms of the overarching challenges we have around justice and national conversation, but so much depends on the family. And uh, those in, the, ends, the ends of the Christ and peace are home and hearth in this, I think. Uh, and that's it. And uh, and if things need to be done, if, this, if the church is not in order, or Abraham Lincoln might talk about a house that stands, it's not together, there's not much can get accomplished. And, and I'm not depressed by that, I'm heartened by that, because this is ordinary. It's the ordinary lives and loves and the way we do business with each other and are in the order it works. And I think there's a connection with John on that. So they, I think they put it together with the, the reading in John because John the Baptist is pointing, 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 and so is Paul the first of this letter. Here's the facts. Right? Paul's like, this is the facts. This is where we are. This is what's changed. This is who you are. 
And John's pointing. And he's also pointing with a fact pattern, just like Paul is. The fact pattern is this is what, this is the promise. This is what scriptures tell us is going to happen. This is it. Hearing voice in the wilderness crying out, facts, 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 not guessing, facts. And then there he is. And then from there on, there are inquiries. John sends his disciples to be with Jesus, right? Sent them out. He's kind of standing down because it all needs to play out now in a very ordinary way, filled with fantastic healing, filled with mysteries, filled, but it's a man walking across the face of the earth. And the point where John, you know, that moment from prison where John reaches out in the gospel and says, are you really the one? Could you let me know everything's okay? And Jesus says, don't you see? Don't you see? I think there's a real connection here with this, the case that Paul is making in order to have this conversation. And Paul not just pointing, but sending out and continuing to inquire, what do you see? What do you see? And I think Paul's doing the same thing with this. So facts alone don't fill out the gospel. And Paul, I think Paul's saying it, facts alone. Where are you as a family? The family fills out the gospel. The love of the family fills out the gospel going forward. And, and for this reading, with the John passage, it makes it that simple for me. So that's what I've got, Bill. Uh, one quick comment, and then you can wrap us up. What you said prompted a thought in me. You referred to, and I believe both accounts are in the Gospel of John. We've read where John is certain this is the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah. Later, are, are you really the one? Why? To me, that's very human. There's this sense of certainty, and then John's in prison. Jesus is meeting opposition, and to me it's very human, and it reminds me, I think this is what we're about as a podcast team. Why do we go over these passages every three years? Why don't we just play what we recorded three years ago? Because we're a work in progress. I think we're John the Baptist. There's a, a sense of, of confidence, and then there's a, what? What does this mean? What more might we learn? So thank you for that um, reminder of, for me, the humanity of the gospel uh, to question and at times to have confidence. Thank you. Yeah, lectionary, wash, rinse, repeat. I, I, it, you know, three, if we went back three years and took a look at it, uh, I'm not the same person. I'm just not. I'm in a different place, different arc of my life. And this, this wash, rinse, repeat makes me very much aware of that. And uh, you know, allows that preamble that Paul gives us to like, wake us up every day. It's like, who are you? What are you doing? I think so much time has been put into what happening in that church. You know, it's like, well, now let's talk about the battle over doctrine. Isn't it awful? It's like, that's not the point. You know, the point is they're distracted. It's <laughs> distracted. It doesn't matter what the topic is. I'm going to get down in those details. We all get distracted. The ordinary world is filled with distraction, but the Christ is in the ordinary world too, and that's where He uses it. That's what He's using. Um, well, I think I think we need to go. We've used up our time, and for those listening in, Palmasia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. For more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A. CEIA.org. We commend that site to you for great sermons. 
other discussions, disagreements, prayers, outstanding music, opportunities to take communion. So check that out. Uh, and if you ever want to communicate with us, our email is lectionarycallin at palmacia.org. That's lectionarycallin at palmacia.org. And we're staying right in Corinthians, right, Sarah? You're leading us next week. So yep. just all you have to do is turn the page. It's only a few verses. Turn the page. To connect that gospel lectionary, it's going to help us with understanding. And you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.